Good evening. It's, it's, I'm super excited to be here with you guys tonight. I'm super excited to be uh, back home. It's awesome to be back home, be with friends, be with family, and be with uh, people that I'm getting ready to know. So uh, let's just go ahead and get started tonight. Um, there are going to be a few more uh, scriptures than I normally have, but it, it, it's going it's to work out, I promise. Um, I'll never bring you something that doesn't cost. I'll bring you a sacrifice. I will never bring you something that doesn't cost. I'm going to bring you a sacrifice. Bow your heads with me tonight. Jesus, we just love you. We praise you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for allowing us to be together as a body, as a family. And I just pray that you just uh, communicate through me. Just uh, let me speak what your spirit has given. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, everyone said. Do I have any Texans in here? Anyone from Texas in here? Okay, none. Do I have any football fans in here? Okay, football is, is like religion in Texas. And so when Mandy and I used to um, youth pastor in Texas, I would spend a lot of time at football games. And um, I was at an eighth grade football game one time, and this memory, this image, is forever tattooed on my mind. It's one of those, one of those um, things that changes who you are. It changes the way you think. It changes what you think about. And um, I remember sitting up in the stands, and one of my students was on the, on the A team. It was an eighth grade game, and uh, the B team was on the team playing. And so he got to sit up in the stands till about the third quarter. Then he had to go down, start putting his pads on, and get ready for his game. And we're sitting there, and we're just kind of just half-heartedly watching the other game, and we're chatting back and forth. And as I look down on the track, I see a boy begin to take his jersey off and walk away from the rest of the team. And immediately I'm focused in on this. Because that just doesn't happen. You never ever walk away from your team. You never ever become a spectacle unto yourself. And I'm thinking, what in the world is this kid doing? Is he quitting the team? Is he walking away? What's going on? And he, he takes his jersey off, takes his helmet off. He walks out to the track and folds out a towel. And, and I look at my my student, I'm like, Jordan, what's, what's going on here? What, what, what is this kid doing? And of course, he just kind of matter-of-factly looks down and says, oh, that kid's a Muslim. He's getting ready to pray. And I said, I said, what? In the middle of the game? And he said, well, it's time for him to pray today. And so the kid took his jersey off, put it down, took his pads off, put them down, took his helmet off, got down on his knees in front of everyone in that stadium and began praying. I thought, wow, this 13-year-old kid doesn't care who in the world is watching him, doesn't care what's going on. He didn't think twice about who was watching. He didn't care at all what people thought. He simply wanted to be obedient and faithful. He realized there was a cost involved in serving his God. He realized to follow through and give something that costs, he had to do something that was out of the norm and great. How much more of a cost should we be willing to give to serve the one true and living God? If this little 13-year-old Muslim kid can do something that is beyond his thinking, then what should we be doing as servants of God? If you have your Bible tonight, please turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17, 8 through 11, and then 23 through uh, 39. 
1 Samuel 17, 8 through 11, 23 through 39. I'll begin reading at verse 8. And pray with me because my eyes are not working as well as they used to. Verse 8. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your servants. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On, the hearing, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the other Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Skip down to verse 23. As he was talking with them, Goliath the Philistine champion from Gath stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. David asked the man standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him. This is what will be done for the man who kills him. Then Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men. He turned and burned with anger at him and asked, Why, why have you come down here? And whom did you leave the sheep with? I know, I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy, and he has been a fighter, a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and I killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine." Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. So Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put on a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his, on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul. Let's backtrack a little bit into Saul's life before we get started. And if and if you, you want to read about this later, you can go to 1 Samuel chapter, chapters 8 through 17. But I just want to quickly recap some of the things that have gone on in Saul's life prior to this. So first off, we know, we know some history of Israel. One, that God had appointed Samuel to be, to, to be the lead man over, um, over Israel. 
we know that there was a point when Samuel started getting older and realized this isn't something I can, I can do much longer. So he, he began to put his sons in charge as judges over Israel. Israel didn't like this. And they said, hey, Samuel, we don't want to deal with this. We, we don't want to deal with your sons. What we want is a king. We really want someone who is going to lead us. So, um, and of course, if you know the story, you know that this wasn't really supposed to happen. This wasn't part of God's plan. Um, God had anticipated something else, but the Israelites were saying, we want a king, we want a king, we want a king. And so Samuel began to, to talk back and forth with God, and finally God said, go ahead, give them what they want, give them the king. Samuel then anointed Saul. Saul became king. Verse 32, Saul speaking to David. You're just a kid. What in the world do you think you're doing? You're just, you're just a little kid, a little guy. And this man over here, this guy that's yelling at us every day, he is a killing machine. He's trained to kill. There's no way you can go out there, get this craziness out of your head. Quit thinking this way. You see, Saul had gone through a transformation. Saul was God's original pick um, as king. And, and even before the coronation, um, initially, he had a transformed heart, an empowering of the Holy Spirit, a physically imposing body, a humble attitude, and Samuel's guidance. He'd even at one point demonstrated the, the gift of prophecy. All of these things, all of these things that we look at and consider the perfect makeup of the leader and the king of Israel. He was everything that Israel needed but he soon began making some impulsive, some foolish, and some disobedient decisions. And, and, and then we go back to this point of debate between he and, he and David, um, and he, he, he was still king in title, but God was already moving forward. David was in a period of preparation, and the spirit of God had been replaced by an evil spirit in Saul's life. It was Saul's role, it was his obligation as king to face the giant. Um, he was called to be the, the, the champion of Israel. And in fact, upon coronation, in fact, upon um, being named king, everyone marveled at how big he was. He was a head taller than everyone else. He was a physically imposing man, and he was called to be this champion. But he didn't step into his destiny. He didn't step into the calling that God had placed over his life. And um, as, he's getting, as he's out there on this battlefield, he's uh, deciding that I'm not too sure about giving to God something that's going to cost me. I don't know if I want to step into this role. In uh, verses, um, chapter 10, verse 22, when Saul was being proclaimed king, he was nowhere to be found. And I thought this was really interesting because this is where we're starting, is we're talking about giving God something that um, is going to cost me a lot, about being a sacrifice. And here's the man who's called to be king, and on the day he's being placed into this position... He's nowhere to be found. He was playing hide-and-seek and had hidden himself in some baggage somewhere. The, the men had to go find him, track him down. Why? He was scared of the power that he suddenly had. He was going to be exposed to negative feelings of those around him. He knew there, that Israel wasn't supposed to have a king anyway. The Israelites had sinned by making this request. Um, Israel is just in a bad place right now. It's just not the best place to be. It's not the best place to want to wanna lead. But all of these things um, were leading him to cynicism, doubt, and discouragement. And these were the things that were filling his heart now. 
he determined that facing this nine-foot-tall, ugly dude um, wasn't a risk he wanted to take. And as the days grew more and more until 40 had finally passed, that doubt was just reinforced. I'm sure as he's standing here facing, facing David and they're having this back and forth that maybe a conversation that he had previously had with, with Samuel was swirling through his mind um, and he remembers words that Samuel was saying, something like, your kingdom is not going to endure. God has already sought out a man after his own heart. If you just listened and obeyed God instead of doing your own thing, the kingdom of Israel would be established for all time under your rule. And I think about that right now, and I think, you know, had Saul, on the first day that Goliath came out, if Saul would have just repented and just said, God, I'm sorry for the mess-ups I did, I'm sorry for, for what I didn't do and what I did do, if he would have just repented at that moment and went out, faced Goliath, and we know that he would have killed Goliath on the spot, then maybe history would have been completely different. But it didn't happen that way. If you just listened and obeyed God instead of doing your own thing, the kingdom of Israel would be forever under your rule. First thing I want to talk about tonight is extravagant giving begins with ultra-obedience and unusual faith. In verse 33, Saul said, no, it's not happening. You are not going out there. You're just a kid. You are not doing this. That didn't stop David at all. David responded with, you know what? I don't care what you say. I've, I've tended sheep. There have been bears. There have been lions. Not a single one of those ever stopped me. They didn't, I, I, they came after me, I struck them down, I defeated them, and I'll tell you what, if, uh, if I can single-handedly take out a lion, or if I can single-handedly take out a, a bear, I guarantee you I can take this guy out, I promise you that. And something interesting happened, right after this conversation, right after David began to share this, Saul did a quick about-face and said, okay, go, do it, Go. When you begin sharing the mighty exploits that God has allowed you to take part in, hard, cynical, and skeptical hearts begin changing. It might be tough sometimes, guys, because people might not want to go along with what God is calling you to do, but don't get down. Appeal to your past victories. God didn't fail David with a lion or a bear, so there's no way, there is absolutely no way that he'll fail him with a human no matter how big he is. Appeal to your victories. David said, I'll fight that goofball. Let no one lose heart. We've got this. We've absolutely got this. If there's something you're struggling with, if there's something that you're having difficulty walking into, if there's something that you know God is calling you to, but it's just too tough, it's just too hard, and no matter what you do, you can't wrap your mind around it, Begin to appeal to your past victories. Begin to look at what God has done through you before. Begin to, to think back to the way that he super, um, super powerfully and miraculously allowed you to walk through this thing. Every time I start to get frustrated or every time I start to, to second guess God and to think, man, God, I don't know. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if this is going to the fall through the way you want it. I start to look back at all the times he has blessed me, all the times he has he has helped me to walk through a situation, and I realize if he did it then, then he's definitely going to do it now. Um, working at Teen Challenge, we would see girls walk in monthly, and they would look at me, and they'd look right, me in, they'd look right in my eyes, and they'd say, you know what? 
I'll do whatever you say. I'll follow these rules. I'll be quiet when I'm told to be quiet. I'll stand up when I'm told to stand up. I'll write whatever you tell me to write. But this Jesus stuff, I'm not believing it. And there's nothing you can do to make me believe that. And there were some girls that were pretty convincing because they added some very colorful language along with that. And uh, I'd just say, okay, that's cool, okay. But I knew that I knew that I knew because of what I'd seen before, because of all those conversations that I'd had in the past, that God was going to do something in these girls, that God was going to change their minds, was going to change their hearts, was going to change their thoughts, was going to change their perspectives and change them from the inside out. And 99% of the time, that's what happened. Pretty soon, a month down the road, after this girl said, I don't believe in God, I don't want anything to do with God, she was professing to be a Christ follower. And that's really cool to know that, that I wasn't going to allow this, um, this stress or this worry to, to infiltrate who I was. I was simply going to rely on what God had done in the past. Saul goes on to say, if you're going to do this, you may as well wear my armor. It's the best there is. You're not going to find anything better. So David gets the armor, he gets the sword, he gets the tunic, he gets all that stuff, he starts trying it on. It's, it's not fitting right, it's too heavy, it's, he's not used to it, he can't move, um, whatever the case may be. And he finally just looks at Saul and says, you know what, I can't do this. I cannot go in this. There are people around you that expect you to follow their ways, but you have to trust that God's method is best, even when it doesn't make sense. Even when it seems completely weird, even when it seems completely out of the norm, you have to know that God's interest in you is the best interest there is. Going on the battlefield without armor and only carrying a slingshot is absolutely absurd. It makes no sense at all. But doing it, in, doing it God's way is always, always, always going to be the best way. Giving something that, that costs is a show of faith. I'm sure it wasn't David's natural inclination to fight this guy, but faith. But faith. You never bring something extravagant to God without faith. It's not possible. It wasn't just Saul, though, who was going against him. Um, he had multiple people speaking in his ears, multiple people um, clowning him, multiple people saying, this isn't possible, get out of here. Um, it wasn't just Saul going against him. His older brother angrily called him out and, and even began to say things that weren't true. You, you conceited and you wicked heart. It didn't faze him. He faced Goliath despite the negativity spoken over him by his older brother and the king. Many times, guys, giving something that costs may include people saying things that aren't true. But you must know that God will take care of all that craziness. There are going to be people that say slanderous things. There are going to be people that say hurtful things. There are going to be people that say emotionally damaging things. But you've got to know that God's got all that under his thumb. He's going to take care of you, he's going to be there, and he's going to fight that fight for you. In a time when you did what your other brothers, your older brothers told you to do, he chose to faithfully obey God, and it resulted in a dead giant. The second thing is extravagant giving contradicts the status quo. Turn quickly to 2 Samuel 6, 12 through 23. Extravagant giving contradicts the status quo. 2 Samuel 12, 6, 12 through 23. Now King David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. 
So David went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all his might. While he and the entire house of the Lord brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpets. Shouts and the sounds of trumpets. As, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watching from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a, lo a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites. Both men and women and all the people went to their homes. When David re returned home to, to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children in that day, um, to that day of her death. Extravagant giving contradicts the status quo. I will become even more undignified than this. At this point, Saul's out of the picture, and David's now king. He's bringing the, the ark back to where it rightfully belongs, and he's realizing that a sacrifice is more than simply looking good. Sometimes being willing to give something that costs entails others seeing us in our most vulnerable state. He was dancing in the street in his underwear. It doesn't get much more vulnerable or embarrassing than that. We've, we've, we've all had those dreams where you're in junior high and school's about to start and you're walking the halls of school in your underwear. You guys know what I'm talking about. Anyone ever have that dream where you're walking through the hall of school in your underwear and you're just completely overwhelmed and everyone's pointing at you and everyone's laughing at you and you're just completely embarrassed? Um, what, what David was doing right now was more intense than that. It's much more intense when you're the king, the ruler over a nation. As king, your reputation is synonymous with your position. His role was synonymous with dignity, expectations, and protocols. He was expected to perform at a societal perfection. But here he is dancing in his underwear in an effort to give everything he had to God. What were the people thinking? Did it matter? Did he care? Not really. His wife, on the other hand, was completely humiliated. She was, uh, she was more concerned about her celebrity score on TMZ than she was about bringing a sacrifice to God. As soon as he walked through the door, here he is, and I can just imagine, he's just completely stoked, he's completely full of passion, completely pumped up. He had just done something that should have been done a long time ago in bringing the ark back, 
he had, he had done something great for God, and I can just see this huge smile on his face, this glow, and he walks in the house, and the Bible says he's walking into his house to bless his household. He walks in, and as soon as he walks in, he sees this face. And this woman's just glaring at him. As soon as he opens the door, she lights him up. And she's like, how in the world? What in the world were you thinking? You so vulgarly dis embarrassed. You so vulgarly disgraced our family. What in the world were you doing? How could you do that? He looks at her and he says, I didn't do it to please you. I didn't do it to please the people. I didn't do it to please anyone. I did something. I gave something that cost me dearly for my God. I gave my God something that was more valuable than anything else I had to give. I gave something that contradicts the status quo. I gave something that I wasn't supposed to give, but I did it anyway. We all have unique personalities. We all have our own way of worship. Your way is going to be different than mine. I'm a little more withdrawn. I'm a little more conservative in the way I worship sometimes. Um, but there are times that God's going to specifically call you to do something that's specific, and he's going to say, I want you to step out. I want you to do something that you normally wouldn't do. I want you to do something that's outside your box, something that might be a little bit scary, outside your comfort zone. And all I can say, church, is just do it, man. Just do it. Step out of your zone, and I promise God will show up in a powerful and radical and unique and new way that will just blow your mind. It's not about you anyway. Who cares who's watching? Most of the time, we got these assumptions. Pastor talked about assumptions Wednesday night. We have these assumptions in our head that so-and-so over here is staring at me, so-and-so over here is looking at me, and they're going to think I'm weird if I jump a little bit too high or if I raise my hands or if I sing a little bit loud. They don't even have a clue you're in the room, folks. They're not watching you. They're focused on themselves, and they're focused on God. Do something crazy. Do something outside your box, and do whatever God is calling you to do. It's about God and not what others think. We got some students in here, and uh, pretty soon, if not already, um, you'll have opportunities to, uh, to bring something to God that's going to cost you something but it will contradict social norms. And uh, maybe four weeks, see you at the polls gonna show up at all the schools across our nation. And if you're a student, you're gonna have a chance to, uh, to get up out of bed a little bit early, to show up at a school, and to pray with a bunch of other people. Um, and there are gonna be people that walk around, they're gonna be able to see you, they're gonna be people pointing at you, staring at you, they're gonna be people saying, I didn't know he was a Christian, I didn't know she, she was a Christian. You're going to have opportunities to bring something to God that will cost you something. It's going, to, it's going to contradict social norms, but it's going to be something that will change and impact the people around you. You might be the only kid at your school. You might be standing in front of us or kneeling in front of a, a flagpole by yourself, and there might be a lot of people that walk by and point. But I promise, whatever they say, however they say it, there's going to be respect there. You're going to impact someone. Extravagant giving contradicts the social quo, status quo. Student, there might be someone in the cafeteria that sits by themselves every single day, doesn't have a single friend, 
Maybe they're uh, referred to as a dork, ugly, stupid. Maybe they're uh, constantly thinking about that because that's all they've ever been told. And you have an opportunity to sit down, to be a friend, to be a blessing to that person, to give something that costs you. Extravagant giving contradicts the status quo. They're going to be friends that start indulging in things that you know you shouldn't, inviting you to indulge in those same things, certain activities you know you shouldn't be part of, you know you've got a choice to make, either something that costs you for God or give in to peer pressure. They might make fun of you. They might call you a prude. Prude's really not a bad thing to be called, is it, Manny? I don't mind being called a prude. <laughs> Same thing goes for us adults. Doing the right thing is rarely the popular thing. Extravagant giving contradicts the status quo. We have another social taboo on the other side of the spectrum now, so if you will, turn to Luke 7, 36 through 50, um, and keep praying for my eyes. Extravagant giving requires risk. Extravagant giving requires risk. Luke 7, 36 through 50. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at a table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet... He would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this for, who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Extravagant giving requires risk. This woman knew before walking into that house that she wasn't going to be welcomed. She knew that the conversations would be snide and insulting and mocking. It didn't really matter. Her love for Jesus was so big that she was willing to give any cost 
in order to worship him. Now, so often when this story is preached, the value of the oil and the jar are what's emphasized. But we're focusing on what her character and feelings endure to be there. I can't stand, one of my love languages is affirmation. I cannot stand to hear negative things said about me. And I'm sure all of us pretty much share that, share, share that. Um, but it really, really drives me crazy to, to have people say negative things about me, to, uh, to, to say things that aren't true, to say things or even bring up my past. And, and if I can do anything about it, I just won't place myself in those situations. So I don't have to hear, I don't have to be a part of those conversations, I don't have to be a part of, of that negativity. But here's a woman who willingly walked into that situation knowing in advance what the conversations were going to be, knowing full well where she had been and what she had done, knowing that all of these people in there were going to look down their noses and judge her, were going to look at her as scum, were going to look at her as trash, were going to say some of the most unrepeatable things we can think of to her in an effort to get her to walk out the door. But she didn't care. Her love and devotion to Jesus came from the awareness of his forgiveness and his love despite what her past was. And this, this understanding of his love and his forgiveness overwhelmed whatever those people had to say. She risked ridicule, but her extravagant giving resulted in extravagant blessing. There are times in our lives when... Uh, we're going to go into places that we don't want to be. They're going to go into opportunities that we don't want to be in. But in doing that, God will bless you. God will give you something great and give you something amazing. People are going to say what they're going to say, but don't let that dictate how you respond to God. The final thing, and turn back one more time to 2 Samuel 23, 13-17, is this. Extravagant giving leads from selfishness to sacrifice. 2 Samuel 23, 13 through 17. Extravagant giving leads from selfishness to sacrifice. Second Samuel 23, 13 to 17 says this. During harvest time, three of the thirty chief men came down to David at the cave of Agilom, while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. At that time, David was in the stronghold, and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. David longed for water and said, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So the three mighty men broke through the Philistine lines drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem and carried it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Far be it from me, O Lord, to do this, he said. Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives? And David would not drink it. David would not drink it. In the uh, three previous examples I talked about, David and the woman dealt with external influencers. Um, there is a point 
when the outside voices won't even be heard anymore. But it's, it's now time to get, deal with us personally giving up our personal desires in order to give something to God that costs. Now, there's a point where uh, when we're growing, there's always going to be those people who are talking in your ear. There's always going to be people who are saying something negative. There's always going to be people who are slamming you and insulting you. And you got to get past that first. You got to get to a point where you're no longer hearing those external influencers, that you're no longer allowing those people to phase you. You're no longer allowing those people to dictate what what you're doing, how you're doing it. But you also got to get past um, giving up your personal desires in order to give something to God that costs. And that's what David was dealing with now. He, uh, he was thinking, talking outside his head. He just said, man, all I want is a drink of water from that, that well. I just want a drink of water. I just want something to drink. He was at a place in his kingdom where he no longer had to perform all he had to do was say the word, and his mighty man jumped into action. No questions, no second-guessing, no frustrations. There were simply men who would never bring their king something that didn't cost them personally. There was no cost too big to give to their king. David looked at this, and it may have reminded him of all those times that he, he so recklessly but faithfully did equally astounding feats for God. He's thinking back to all these different things, the time he defeated, defeated Goliath, all the things he had done, all those things he had, he had walked into, all of those things that um, were, were such a sacrifice. And now here he is sitting back waiting. He realized, you know what, I can't take the easy way out. I can't let such an amazingly brave act of sacrifice go to waste by simply drinking this water and then forgetting about it. Just because he'd done awesome things, just because he'd paid the price, just because he'd given the cost in the past, doesn't mean he could stop then. He couldn't live off the sacrifices of the past he had to continue giving each day. Giving something that costs is something we perpetually do. Um, giving something that costs doesn't stop just because we've done great things in the past. Giving something that costs is something we continue throughout life. Too many people choose to stay satisfied with where they're at instead of consistently giving something new to God. Luke 14, 27 says that if we don't carry our cross with us daily and follow Jesus, we can't be his disciple. This is something we do. This is something we, we start new and fresh and passionately every single day. This is something that doesn't end just because you've reached a certain level of quote-unquote mature Christianity. The more mature you are, the more you should be doing this. This is something that we continue to give to God on a daily basis. The offering of the mighty men was greater than the actual sacrifice. Their eager willingness to do this without hesitation spoke of their love for their king. They didn't even think twice. They didn't even hesitate. They simply did what they knew we, that, that they should do. And, and that's, that's what I want, to, I want to do. Extravagant giving leads from selfishness to sacrifice. I want to get to a point in my life where I'm no longer focused on my personal needs. I'm more focused on his needs. I'm, I'm no longer thinking about what I need to do to fix or to, to, to make myself happy. I need to be thinking about what he needs for me to bless him. 
Finally, extravagant giving ends with lives changed. We might have some harsh critics. We might have to take some scary risks. To give something that costs you, you're going to have to obey like you never have. You'll have to step into a new area of faith. And you'll have to quit thinking about just you. But when you start doing these things and giving something that never cost you nothing, you'll begin impacting people in a way that you never thought possible. God did it. He gave us something that cost him everything. His son. That Muslim kid, more concerned about giving to his God, little G God, than the environment, than the people watching him, than what people were going to say, than the rumors that might fly around. All he cared about was being obedient. How much more should we, who have been forgiven, by the God of all gods. Be willing to give something extravagantly. I don't ever want to uh, give something that doesn't cost me. I want to bring a sacrifice. Jesus gave everything he had. He hung on a cross. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was hurt. He was pierced. And yet the whole time, he was hanging there. He was thinking about you and I. He was thinking about reason I'm doing this is because I'm going to give them everything I have. And if Jesus gave us everything he had and is still giving us everything, then why would we want to be any less? Why would we not want to give him everything that we are and everything we have?